Hi guys, how is everyone tonight? A big welcome to you all. Um, it's been great to have that music and, and Jonathan to remind us, isn't it, of just the amazing holy God that we, we do have. But you know, it's really hard also tonight to um, really be focusing on what, what God wants to do here in this service tonight. And he does, he really wants to work in this service tonight. But also I guess our hearts and minds are, are fairly well uh, occupied and with um, just the terrible set of circumstances that are happening around our state. Um, we heard just before we came here tonight on the news that um, actually 67 people now have lost their lives across Victoria. I know when I left home at 4, 5.30, it was 50, so it's just jumped another 17 in the last hour. Um, over six, 700, sorry, it was 6.40 at 5.30 this afternoon homes. Now it's over 700 homes have been lost. Um, we also have some prayer points that we want to spend a bit of time in prayer in a moment praying for, but just to let you know so that you can be praying for these people um, when you go home tonight, during the night, um, all night in the morning, all day tomorrow. We need to be praying for um, the families that have lost loved ones. We want to pray that no more lives are lost. Um, also to let you know that um, in the Yakandanda area we have families that attend this church and their homes are under threat and um, the Keebles who worship here, Blair and Joel have gone up to their grandparents' house uh, to try and, and see if they're okay up there. Joel, Baz, Josh and Kyle are all up there. I mean a lot of our young adults are away here tonight at the moment. Tim Stevens has, has been deployed this afternoon through the CFA and Ken's not sure exactly where he is but he did mention this morning um, that he thought it might be down at the Kilmore area. Hannah Christie and the Christies, the family, Christie family that worship here from Beechworth, they're not allowed to leave their home at the moment and, and, and our thoughts and hearts go also with the Carlisles um, and also with Loris Collier and uh, we're not sure about the Goldworthies and um, uh, yeah, Jade um, Bremner's mum and dad out there at Beechworth. So um, I'm sure many of you may know other people up that way as well. Um, Grace has got relatives out at um, Kaganya. Is it Dedarang? Sorry, Dedarang. Um, we, we just, there's so many people that we need to pray for. Also, pray that the, the township of um, Mount Beauty, too, will be protected. The, the wind and the fire is, is heading out that way. Um, we have a number of our folk, men folk here, that are away fighting fires. Dave Adamswaite, um, John Sillins, and the two beach boys, Matt and Nathan, um, Arthur Scholes, um, uh, all, and, and Aaron Kennedy, all have been away fighting fires. We want to pray for them as well. Uh, Phil Weeks has 
parents' home um, over at Alexander. The fire is apparently only 20 k's. It could be... That was an hour ago, so a lot happens in an hour. I don't know how much closer it is there. Um, and I guess one of the things that break our hearts dreadfully is that the little township, the hamlet of Marysville, um, and for many years, Marysville... It's been a wonderful place and that's, that's gone uh, where our children have gone for decades. Um, safe? ESA. ESA. Sorry, it's not safe, it's gone. ESA camp has gone, so has El Canal. El Canal. So, lots to pray for tonight, but we do have a holy, awesome, mighty God and we stand firm, don't we, in him. We stand firm in our faith and believe in this holy God that good, Lord, we pray that some good is going to come out of it. So let's pray. I just had to let you know all of those things. Please don't stop praying. Don't stop praying for the shocking circumstances. Lord, we just come before you now. We've, we've been able to come together and in spite of all that is going on, we, we know that the most essential thing in our life is to praise and honour and worship you because you are an awesome, holy, incredible, powerful God. And we would ask, we would beseech you, we'd come before you and just ask that the dreadful fires that are happening all around this state and in New South Wales as well, Lord, that you would bring rain and that these fires would cease. We would ask, Father God, that no more life is lost, that we would not hear in the next hour or the hours to follow that there are yet more lives lost, Lord, that that number would, would just now have reached its, its lid and there would be no more lives lost, Jesus. Oh, we pray for this. We pray for those that are currently in the line of fire, even loved ones that are part of this church family, Lord. And there are many people that um, right throughout this state are actually having to not leave their homes, not be able to get down off mountains or, or out on roads to escape because of the fires that are encircling their properties. And we would just ask, Father God, that you protect those loved ones, protect all of those people that we know and love dearly in Beechworth and in, in um, um, up, up near Mount Beauty and Dedarang and Stanley and Yakandanda, Lord. We would ask that you protect all of these people and protect all the young ones that have gone up there to help protect them, Lord. Protect Tim as he goes into um, a major fire area. Um, just protect him. Protect all those ones that are part of our church family that are currently fighting fires. Matt and Nathan Beach, Lord, and Aaron Kennedy, and protect um, John Sillins and Arthur Scholes and Dave Adamswaite, Lord. Oh, Lord, we just ask that that you would just do the impossible, Lord, and and bring rain. And comfort those who are mourning right now, Lord, that are in disbelief and in shock because they've lost loved ones. Oh, we pray, comfort them. And we just ask, and we don't know how, Lord, but we just ask that some good will come out of this devastation. And and the good we want to see is that, that 
that down the track people will, will start to think beyond themselves and beyond life as it exists now and start to question about what the meaning of life is and eternal life and that will lead them on a path Lord that will lead them to you that is our hope Lord that is our that is our real hope but for now Lord Jesus we ask for very specific significant things which is protection safety cessation of these fires in your precious name we pray amen Got a pretty talented senior pastor, haven't you? Preachers and sings. I've uh, I've entitled tonight's sermon "Knowing Who You Are Without Looking at Your Name Tag," and the passage that we're going to look at is Ephesians chapter one, verses three to fourteen. So let's uh, turn together and have a look at that. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfilment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. A man who had been a drunkard on Skid Row in Chicago for many years came to a mission hostel to stay for the night. That was his last night on earth. He died poverty-stricken, and friendless never to see another day. What he didn't know was that he had for him waiting in, the, in England an inheritance of over $4 million. The authorities had searched for him all over the world to try and find him. But they were unable to find him because he had no address. He was a man who had all the material wealth that you could ever ask for but he lived and he died in poverty. In this sense, he's just like many Christians and non-Christians who have lived their life in spiritual poverty because they're not fully aware of their wealth 
of who, of who they are in Christ. Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus was not the normal letter that he's written other times, in that this letter didn't address a specific issue as most of his other letters did for heresy or other things. But he wrote to the people of Ephesus to expand their horizon and their understanding of God so that they may serve God and the church better. Because when they would understand God, they would understand his goals and they would then be able to serve according to that. Paul's objective was not purely inspirational. He sought to relate his vision to the practical demands of Christian living in a hostile society. I don't think too much has changed. If they were able to stand in Christ, they could face any trial that came upon them. If I was to ask you some questions tonight, just answer them yourself. If I was asked to ask you, who are you? Who are you? How would you respond to that? Would, would you answer by telling me your name? Does that describe who you really are? If all you give me is your name? Would, would you begin to tell me maybe about what you do for a living? And would that aptly describe who you are? Would you tell me where you live? Would that describe who you are? What about your physical dimensions? Your size, your weight, your hair colour, your eye colour? Is that who you are? What about if you went to hospital and, and the orthopaedic surgeon removed your arms and your legs? Would you still be you? What if you then went and saw the, uh, the heart, lung and kidney surgeons and they replaced those organs? Would you still be you? If the surgeon kept on chopping and changing, would he eventually make you or would he eventually find you? I guess you're probably understanding where I'm getting to at this particular point, that we are so much more than than what we see on the outside. The world says that what you do determines who you are rather than who you are determining what you do. The world says that outside appearances count for what happens about how you feel on the inside. So if you perform well, if you're attractive, if you have status, if you're popular, if you drive a great car and live in an awesome house and have fantastic kids, then you've obviously got it all together. The world's formula says that you plus success or popularity or whatever it is equals fulfilment. And if that was true, there'd be a lot of people alive today that aren't. Renee Redkin would be a good example of that, one of Australia's richest men, but no longer around. He had everything that money could ever want. 
but it was obviously not enough. I guess tonight I want to look at a different formula. I guess one that matters in the kingdom of God. It's you plus Christ equals wholeness and meaning. You plus Christ equals wholeness and meaning. When we accept Christ into our lives, a change occurs. We become a child of God. And with that come certain privileges. We're now a whole person. And we possess a life that is filled with infinite opportunities and meaning and purpose. And we have that not because of what we have done or what we haven't done. Or what... It's because of who you are. It's because of how God sees you. You are a child of God. But the flip side of that is that Satan doesn't want us to know that. He doesn't want us to live as a child of God. He wants us to struggle with our identity. He wants us to struggle with our self-worth. He wants us to struggle with our spiritual growth and our maturity. Satan wants to distort our true identity in Christ. He wants to deceive us. And we allow him to deceive us because we use the wrong measuring stick. We measure our worth by other people around us, by what society says. My nephew, when he was younger, went up to his mum, my sister, and uh, and proudly announces to her that he's six foot four. My sister was greatly surprised at this and uh, inquired as to how he came up with that figure. Out of his pocket, he pulls out a ruler, six inch ruler, which he was using to measure a foot. So he did his maths right, he just... So whilst Caleb thought that he was over six foot, he was really only a little over three foot. And see, that's our problem. We measure ourselves by one another. We're an imperfect prototype rather than by the standard of the word of God. Our sufficiency must be in Christ alone. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves in circumstances where Satan can play tricks. Play tricks on our mind and with our mind so that we end up saying things like, well, I don't drive a brand new car and I don't have the best paying job. And I might not be the pop- most popular person at school or the best looking or the most pretty. Therefore, I'm hopeless. I'm useless. I'm not going to amount to anything. I'm ugly. I'm a failure. Or words to that effect. If we have negative thoughts of self, they're not from God. Our relationship with Christ should be the sole determinant for our feelings of self-worth and confidence. How can someone who is a child of God, made, made in his image, ever be evil, ever be worthless, ever be ugly, or ever be a failure? I want to roll back the clock. Nine years. Almost today, my, my eldest son was nine last week. So nine years. And editors note, this illustration is illustration purposes only. It actually didn't happen. So nine years ago, Tim was a baby. And, uh, and I woke up one morning and I decided that I'd let my wife sleep in this day. So 
Tim had woken up and he was starting to be a bit restless in his cot, so I've wrapped him up, as you do with newborns, and put him in the pram, and, and off we went for a walk down to the shop to buy the paper. And, uh, and on the way back, there was a lady standing at the lights as we were waiting to cross the road. And she commented on how beautiful Tim was and how contented he was just lying there and doing all the things that you really want babies to do but don't often do. And, and I agreed. I said, yeah, he is wonderful. He was my first child and, you know, I'm pumped, pleased as. And um, she then went and asked me if he was for sale. So for interest's sake, I don't know what a newborn baby's worth in the Western world. So, so I asked her and said, well, what's it worth? And she said, well, she offered me $1,000. And I said, no way. I'm not going to sell my child for $1,000. I'm not interested. Still waiting for the lights and she persisted. And so the next offer got bumped up a bit to 10000 And this time I've got really close to Tim and I've put my hand on his chest and I've said, no, he's not for sale. And then she kept going up, 100000 same, same answer. No way. And then she dropped the bomb, you know, $1 million. And I turned around her and I got into her face and I said, my baby is worth more to me than the whole world. There is no offer that you could ever give me that I would ever consider taking. If I'd come up with a different response to that, you'd probably question my ability as a parent. I said what I said, not because looking back, that I can think of all the thousands of nappies that I'd want to change, all the broken night's sleep, all the, all the spews that you've got to clean up, all because of what it costs to bring up a child, either financially, emotionally, or t with time, all because necessarily Tim's going to be you know, a great sportsman or whatever and he's going to make lots of money. No, it's because Tim and I, Elizabeth and I, have chosen to value this tiny person to deem this child as someone of worth and to love this baby as our own. What I'm trying to say is that worth resides in the identity of the person, not in their performance. As parents, you'd probably be nodding your head and going, well, if it was based on performance, that probably wouldn't last much longer than a week. In, in my counselling role at school, I, I see many students who struggle with self-esteem, with um, identity, and a range of other of issues where, where they don't have a positive outlook, either on life or on themselves. And one of the first questions that I ask them is, how do you view yourself? What do you think of yourself? And the reason I ask that question is because no person can consistently behave in a way that is inconsistent with how they perceive themselves. So what I mean by that is that if, if one of my kids at school thinks that they're worthless and hopeless and not going to amount to anything, and that's their paradigm or that's their belief system, how are they going to behave in class? How are they going to behave when other people pay them a compliment. They're not going to believe it and they're not going to live that way because that's not their perception. So for us as children of God, if we see ourselves as a child of God who is alive in Christ, 
we will therefore live in victory and freedom as Christ lived because that is our, our true identity and that is how we are choosing to, to view. We have to start looking at ourselves for who we really are and how God sees us. I didn't read out verse 1, but in verse 1 of chapter 1, Paul writes this letter and he says, To the saints in Ephesus. Did he call them saints because they were perfect? Did he call them saints because um, the Catholic Church has a method of making ordinary people saints? No. He called them saints not because of anything that they had done, because that was their calling. That is who they are. That is who we are. Being a saint is not an earned title that we receive through living a magnificent life. We're called saints by God because we are holy ones. So what is your spiritual identity? Are you a sinner saved by grace? Is that how God sees you? Does God see you as a sinner or as a saint, a holy one? Remember our perception. If we think sinner, we live like sinner, rather than seeing ourselves as a saint who occasionally sins. Yes, it's a mindset. Who you are determines what you do, not what you do determining who you are. So tonight, knowing who you are without looking at your name tag. Good. I want to look at these verses as I am's. Jesus had his famous I am's in John's Gospel. I am the true vine, I am the light, I am the bread of life. I want to look at these as, as our I am's. Who I am in Christ. So, the first one. In verse 3, we can see that we are blessed. It says that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. I am blessed with every spiritual blessing. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In the Old Testament, a blessing was something good. It was something tangible. It was something material. It was something specific. God blessed Abraham. He said that he was going to be the father of many nations. He said that he was going to make his name great. In the New Testament, our blessings in Christ are spiritual and they come through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's function is to transfer to believers all that God has achieved in Christ. So everything that God did through Christ can be done through us, through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Our blessings are already secured for us in the heavenlies. Christ has already run the battle. Christ was and is victorious over evil, so our blessings are secure. In verse 4, it says that he chose us before the creation of the world. I was chosen before the creation of the world. You were chosen before the creation of the world. What an awesome blessing that is. To know that we were selected in Christ before the world was created. 
before the foundations of the world were laid. I was chosen. In Christ, we are holy and blameless. I am holy and blameless. You are holy and blameless. Holy means that we are set apart for God to reflect his purity. Blameless means that we are free from blemish. This applies to Christ, it applies to the church, and it applies to Christians from now through to the end of the age. We are predestined in love. God loves us so much that his purpose for us is predetermined. Does that mean that it can't change? I don't know. I'm adopted as a son or daughter through Jesus Christ. Christ is God's son by nature. We are his sons and daughters through adoption and grace. Yes, we are also co-heirs with Christ, as you can read in Romans. We share both his suffering and his glory. The basis of this gracious action is in the character of God himself through his pleasure and his will. In verse 6, God has given us his son as an act of grace. I've been given his son. You have been given his son. If I was the only person in this earth, he still would have given me his son. So what is our response to this amazing act of grace? We've been doing it tonight to praise him and to worship him and to thank him for his love gift. Verse 7 says that we are redeemed through his blood. There we go. I have been redeemed. Like prisoners or convicts that have been emancipated and set free, we've been set free. Reminds me of a story about Billy Graham, a famous evangelist. One day he was pulled over by a policeman and given a speeding ticket. Later on, he goes to the sheriff's department to pay the fine and the sheriff looks at the ticket and uh, saw that the name said William Franklin Graham and didn't click that it was Billy Graham. And so he's talking and going through what the ticket entails and what the cost would be. And then he looks up and he realises that it is, in fact, Billy Graham. And this man was a Christian, so they go on to talk a while about um, kingdom things and, and then eventually the, the sheriff gets down to business of having to pay this fine. And he opens his book and he asks Billy Graham, how do you plea? Guilty, says Billy. And the sheriff records that answer in, in the register. That'll be $150, thanks. The sheriff pulls out his wallet and pays the $150 and writes paid in full in the column and then shut his book with the money in it. Just like Billy Graham's fine was paid in full, so was ours. That payment was ransomed on the cross through the blood of Christ. That lifeblood that was poured out for us by his death. 
verse 7, I'm forgiven. We are forgiven. You are forgiven. We've been forgiven of our sin condition and our sins. Sin are those acts or those deviations which make us stray from God's path. In verse 7 and verse 8, it says that we are lavished with the riches of God's grace. I love the word lavished. To be lavished with the riches of God's grace. I am lavished with the riches of God's grace. God always gives generously. And here Paul is speaking of two things that we have been given. We've been given wisdom, every kind of wisdom. So that's knowledge to see things as they really are. And we've been given understanding. You could call that discernment that leads to right action. We've been lavished with those things. So the next time when we're sitting at home or lying in bed and we can't get to sleep because there's stuff going on that we just don't know what to do with. Wait a minute. I've been lavished with the riches of God's grace, of wisdom, knowledge and understanding. I can do this. Verse 11. We are chosen in him. I am chosen in him. You are chosen in him. We are his, his heirs. Israel blew their chance for inheritance. We are the new Israel. So therefore we enter into those same privileges. We are chosen. In the USA, basketball is probably the most popular sport. And every year the NBA have their draft where those um, up-and-coming basketball players that are at college wait for that phone call to be picked up by one of the NBA teams. It's probably like AFL, I guess. It's the hope and dream of every um, young kid that ever plays basketball or footy. They want to play at the top level. Unfortunately, the statistics of those people waiting for a call says that only one out of every 12,000 receive that call. Now, I can do that math, so that means that 11,999 miss out. In Christ, we are all chosen. We are all called by name. So all the privileges that go with the territory are ours because of who we are in Christ. Verse 13 says that we are included in Christ. I am included in Christ. You are included in Christ. In the Christian community, there are no second-class citizens. We are all equal. We are all included. Verse 13 says that we are also marked with a seal. Like a seal that is fixed to a document to prove its authenticity or its genuineness. We're fixed with a seal, the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit inside of us that determines our genuineness. There's an outworking, and we know that through the, the fruits of the Spirit. So how we act and how we behave. And finally, we are God's possession. 
I'm God's possession. You are God's possession. He will return to redeem. He will return to redeem us. At the end of the age, God will redeem those who have made a pledge to Him, and the treasuries of heaven will be ours. Do you know what your hope is for today and for tomorrow? Do you know? Do you know that you are a child of God right now? Right now. And all those things that I've been speaking about tonight are yours. It comes with the territory. It comes with the ownership. It comes with the privilege of being able to call ourselves a child of God. If I left you with three things, I guess these would be it. That the person whose confidence is in being a child of God begins to accept to live according to that perception. That no longer do we live in guilt of what we shoulda, coulda, woulda, but that we accept who we are and we begin to live according to our destiny, according to our hope, according to our future. The second thing is that no person can live consistently in a manner that is inconsistent with how they perceive themselves. We can't do it. We might be able to fool people for a little while, but eventually our true self will come out good or bad. We can't live inconsistent lives. It, it'll tear you up and it'll use all your energy and you won't be happy. God has called us children of, of his. All these things tonight are ours for the taking. And finally, you have to see yourself as a child of God in order to live like a child of God. So the next time that you look at yourself in the mirror, remind yourself of who you really are as a child of God and smile. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for all that we have and all that we are in and through your Son. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who lives inside each one of us, those that call you Father those who are a child of God. And thank you that you enable us to live a life worthy of that calling.
Father, I pray that you would help each of us to, to know our calling, to know who we are in you, and to be able to live that out in grace. Thank you, God, that we are chosen by you. Thank you, God, that you love us so much. Father, I pray that you would continue to live in each one of us today, tonight. And God, that we would see ourselves differently from this moment on and be able to live a life of victory and a life of freedom. Through your Son, in Jesus' name.